Hello, fellow Rebel Capitals. Hope you're well. So we've got big news at the border. This is turning into a crisis. And quite frankly, it's getting dangerous right now. And I'm not saying that to be hyperbolic. Uh, I think the mainstream media is under-reporting this. And even if you're American that doesn't live in Texas, let's say that you live in Montana, and you say, well, George, this really doesn't pertain to me. Now, you don't understand what's going on. You really don't. Because this pertains to every single American that is living in the United States right now. I can assure you of that. So let's get right into some details. And then we're going to connect the dots with what is happening at the border crisis with global macro. More specifically, what could happen in the future with the bond market. And there could be a blow up in the bond market, not due to the amount of debt, but possibly due to something that looks similar to a civil war. This is going to be an incredible video. We're going to go a lot through a lot of uh, talking points, a lot of twists and turns in this one. So sit down and buckle up. First, I want to go to a fantastic interview that Tucker Carlson did with Brett Weinstein. Now, Brett Weinstein went down to Panama with my good buddy, Chris Martinson, and uh, they wanted to see what was actually going on for themselves at the Darien Gap. Most of you that have been following the story realize that we've got people from South America that are fleeing the way they're getting into the United States now that the border is pretty much open is they are going through, uh, you know, let's, say, let's say Venezuela, coming into Colombia, and then going up to Panama through the Darien Gap. Once they get into uh, Panama, then they're going straight up to the Mexican border, where the reason I say it's open is because all they have to do, apparently, is just say that they are in some sort of uh, a political trouble, or they're seeking asylum, uh, political asylum, and that's kind of the gets them the, the Trump card, no pun intended, when in reality, and we were talking about this on a video the other day, it, it, this is just this is economic motivation. And I know that because I have a lot of my employees that know because most of my employees are Colombian and Venezuelan. They know people that are actually going through this process right now trying to get to the United States. And in fact, they uh, one person in particular that works for me, her daughter did this actually went and is now in the United States. And before we even get to this video, I'll, I'll tell you that the irony is that the gal that did this, that is now in the United States and working illegally, is complaining to the, the, her, her mom that works for me and the rest of my employees that she knows. Why? Because she's saying that her job sucks and that she had better job opportunities in Colombia. In fact, she said she had better job opportunities in Venezuela. So just some interesting insights. But let's get into what Brett Weinstein saw, not just with the South American refugees or refugees that are coming into, let's say, Ecuador from Africa and then going up with the uh, this mass migration, but also with the Chinese. Because this is a twist that I don't think anybody was expecting. Let's go over kind of him reiterating what I was talking about with people not going there for political asylum, but for economic reasons, and uh, which unfortunately for them uh, turn out to be oceanfront property in Arizona. Uh, they're sold a bill of goods that is not that is not real, and 
unfortunately, they had it better where in the country that they uh, came from, most of them. And people were interested in talking, including migrants. So we had many conversations with migrants. And these migrants, I, I have to tell you, when they come to the southern border of the U.S., um, they get through on the basis that they are political refugees. They aren't. When we talk to them in the transit camp, everybody tells the same story. They are fleeing um, economic collapse and they are fleeing in the direction of what they perceive to be economic opportunity. What they perceive to be economic opportunity. And of course, in American law, these two things are very different. We protect people who are seeking political asylum, but we do not offer automatic economic asylum. And the reason for that is fairly clear, which is that in order to protect people economically, we end up robbing Americans of their economic well-being and we, that's just not something that people are entitled to, no matter how much compassion you may have right. for people fleeing Venezuela. It is not um, our responsibility, especially not without some sort of a plan and agreement about how many people are going to come through and in what way we're going to take care of them and how that's going to get paid for. Um, we, we don't uh, we do not do that. But in any case, you... you now that, so he made some great points there that, that I uh, have anecdotal anecdotal evidence for a lot of anecdotal evidence let's fast forward to the 14 minute mark and i would encourage strongly encourage watching this entire interview it's fantastic but this is when uh brett talks about the difference between the two camps he saw one camp pretty much all south americans very friendly open but then he saw a much 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 different camp where they wouldn't even let you in and the majority of people there were, in fact, Chinese. But as he points out, not just Chinese, but young Chinese males. In fact, not just young, but military aid Chinese males. You get the same story from everybody. They're, they're fleeing uh, an economic crisis. Oops. And they're moving um, called San Vicente. And everything in San Vicente is different than it was at Canaan Mumbria. San Vicente, first of all, it's not a town. This is a camp that is built as a trans built of containers and various objects to house. And it is almost entirely Chinese. Now, there were Chinese folks. Chinese? Chinese. That's a long way from China. It sure is. And what's more, in this camp, the rule that you're able to go in and walk around and talk to people is not in evidence. The Senefront, the Panamanian border control, actually forbid us to go into So we had to stay on the outside of it. We were also forbidden to photograph it. So what photographs we have were uh, taken covertly. Um, but the most striking thing... Wait, may I ask this? So is it the government of China? Do you believe this? I, well, let me tell you the other thing I found, and then I think the answer to that will become clearer. Outside of the San Vicente camp, the Chinese migrants are... Um, you can interact with them. There are a couple of shops where they go to buy water or snacks or whatever. And so you can interact with them at those places. They are the opposite of forthcoming. They have no interest in talking to outside. And I've been to dangerous places before. I've been to places where people fear their government and can't talk to you because they feel it's not safe. This didn't feel like that at all. This felt like people who did not want to share information because it would be 
a mistake to do so. And what's more, there was an incident where Michael, who has lived in China, he's been all over the world, and he started up or tried to start up a conversation with uh, a guy who claimed to be from Korea. And Michael tripped him up and got him to speak Chinese. And then there was uproarious laughter at the fact um, that he had tried to pull this caper on Michael. So it is not a friendly migration. That, that's that's pretty crazy. And guys, if you think, oh, George, this is just these right-wing kooks that are talking to Tucker Carlson, uh, no, just watch 60 Minutes. Watch the news. Uh, they're reporting on uh, this wave of Chinese people that are going across the border along with everyone else. Uh, the, the reasons why they're doing this en masse is unknown. You could say, well, they're trying to find better economic opportunity. Uh, maybe, maybe, but it's it's not like China's Venezuela, for heaven's sakes, right? There, there's a lot, uh, I would argue, for these immigrants, there's more opportunity in Venezuela. But uh, there's obviously a lot more opportunity in China than there is in Venezuela. Now they could be fleeing their government, the oppressive regime of the Communist Party. I get it. I think that's a great argument. But the bottom line is you just don't know. And you have to start asking questions as to what the motivation is here, especially when they're in a completely separate camp. They're a camp where you really can't talk to them. When you do talk to them, they don't want to talk to you. And uh, when they do, they try to deceive you into believing they are something other than who they actually are. So I don't think you can draw any conclusions, but I think you've got to start asking a lot of questions. But this is where the story and the report just starts to get interesting, believe it or not. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options, Jason Hartman, real estate, and Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Now, in Rebel Capitalist Pro, we've got research from my good buddy Chris McIntosh and Lynn Alden, which is uh, really kind of, uh, well, not just kind of, it's, it's just incredible. It's amazing and very, very insightful. And so what I, I'm not going to share this whole thing with you because this is kind of behind the paid wall for Rebel Capitalist Pro members. Uh, but what I want to do is go through this hypothesis that Chris uh, discusses in his most recent report. And uh, then I, I think this struck me to such a degree 
that this Friday, I'm going to be doing a webinar in Rebel Capital's Prague. I'll tell you guys about it here in a second. And you can join that. You can be a part of that. Because uh, this theory, this hypothesis, this idea, I think is so powerful that we all need to be cognizant of this. And I think we all need to start thinking about the probabilities. And even if the probabilities are very low, I think we should start preparing for this and setting up our portfolio accordingly. So it starts off by talking about a house divided, what Chris is saying. And he's really talking about this border crisis. But he, again, has some insights that that never, ever would have dawned on me. And these insights are directly applicable to every single American, not just because what's happening at the border, but the broader systemic risks for the U.S. bond market, treasuries. And you guys know that I'm someone, when I hear arguments for a debt crisis that uh, we're not going to be able to afford the interest payments on the debt, and most of these arguments I don't think are very good, and uh, I, I disagree with them especially in the next, let's just say, five, 10 years, due to the structure of the global monetary system. Don't want to go down that rabbit hole. But Chris brings up a point that I had never thought about that I would agree could completely blow up the U.S. Treasury market. Let's get into it here. He says, many of you well aware, uh, especially if you're an American, if not, there's uh, here's what's happening. The state of Texas put up razor wire at the border to stop roughly 12,000 illegal immigrants crossing daily. Jeez, I didn't know it was daily. Uh, the feds got their knickers in a knot. You'll have to, Chris has a pretty loose way of writing. <laughs> he can't help his disdain for the government to come out in every single thing that he says. He's, he's a lot like me in that way. The feds got their knickers in a knot, came down and pulled it all down, opening the floodgates again. So I didn't realize this was happening. I didn't realize that Texas was saying, okay, federal government, pound sand. We're going to take matters into our own hands. We're going to start putting up this razor wire, regardless of, of, of what type of sanctuary city you want us to be. And uh, you're going to have to come down here and do something about it. And that's exactly what the federal government did. So Joe Biden or whomever sends down these people. Uh, to tear down the razor wire that Texas actually put up. So we are literally in a confrontation between Texas and the federal government right now as we speak. I mean, this is really mind-blowing stuff. Chris goes on to say, in the tit-for-tat back and forth, the Texans put it back up. So, okay, they put it up, take it down, put it back up. This all ended in court where the Supreme Court said they uh, said uh, that actually stopping illegal immigration was illegal. <laughs> That's how screwed up the world is that we live in today. He goes on to say, so the Texas, the Texans climbed onto their horses, rode back home, figuratively speaking, and prompted, uh, promptly ignored this and invoked their rights as a state to protect themselves. So they took a different legal angle. It's worth remembering that the U.S. is not a democracy, as many think, but a republic. That's important in terms of the legality of what just happened. Not the ultimate legality, uh, not that ultimate legal legality matters when the country is clearly run by criminals, uh, but you get the point. So basically, uh, let's see, here's a quote. Let's read this. President Biden has instructed his agencies to ignore federal statutes that mandate the detention of illegal immigrants, the failure of the Biden administration. Okay, so this is probably a statement from Texas. 
the failure of the Biden administration to fulfill the duties imposed by Article, it's like four, has triggered Article one. I, I, I don't know. The article numbers don't matter. Clause three, which reserve reserves to this state the right of self-defense. So now what Texas is claiming is that this isn't a border crossing issue. This is quite literally self-defense. They go on to say, for the reasons I have already declared an invasion under this article to invoke Texas constitutional authority to defend and protect itself. So that must have come from the governor, I'm assuming, of Texas. Then you have all of these other states that are basically picking sides. Are we siding with the federal government or are we siding with Texas? And it's astonishing, and I think it's actually quite encouraging, how many states are siding with Texas. So Oklahoma governor came out and said that they're standing, they're agreeing with Texas. DeSantis said the exact same thing. Virginia, South Dakota, Georgia, Montana, Utah, West Virginia, Arkansas. And then Chris gives us a map of so that we can visually see every single state that has said Texas is right, the federal government is wrong. And it's not just a couple. You see that it is the vast majority. I don't know how many states here, but it looks like the majority are uh, siding with Texas. So you've got to ask yourself, well, how does this play out? You hear people in the libertarian space like Tom Woods, the, the great Tom Woods, talk about secession all the time. And you've heard my good friend Doug Casey talk about a civil war. Well, I, I'm not saying that this is going to lead to civil war, but we're a hell of a lot closer to it now than we were six months ago. I can tell you that. And I mean, setting the whole slavery component aside, this is pretty much how the, the last civil war started. You've got some states that just disagree with these regulations that are coming down at a federal level and they're standing up for their rights. They're going to push back. So at what point, you know, obviously Texas is standing firm. So how much force is Joe Biden and the federal government going to use to impose their will on Texas? And if they don't, then that sends a message to all the other states that you can basically tell the federal government to pound sand. So my point there is that even if Joe Biden doesn't want beef with Texas, he's going to have, you would assume, I don't, I'm not a political expert, but you would assume that he's got to do something that's extreme just to send a message to the other states. And this is completely blew my mind. I, I guess maybe it's just because I haven't been in the United States or I spent so little time there now, but some of these states that are siding with Texas are actually sending troops to Texas. I mean, <laughs> this is escalating at a rate that is incredibly alarming. So then we continue to scroll down and uh, Chris starts making the point as to how this is really kind of a global movement away from the central planners, away from federal governments, and that that is obviously a good thing. But what he points out which really got me paying attention was the bond market, the treasury market. Because if you want to argue to me that, well, there's going to be no demand for treasuries because global central banks aren't going to use them anymore because they want to hold gold or they want to hold the BRICS currency or the Russian ruble, the Chinese yuan or something like that, 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 that to me is not a very good argument. 
That's a fundamental misunderstanding of the global monetary system because you are ignoring the the majority of the demand coming from the eurodollar market or things like uh, collateral, as an example. And the worse the global economy gets, the higher the demand for collateral, the less rehypothecation you're going to get. And therefore, simply saying that you know because we're running three trillion dollar deficits, that I totally agree will increase. But there's going to be no demand for treasuries just because global central banks won't want to hold them. That is a very myopic view that I think is uh, is inaccurate or is inaccurate because it, it misses the bigger picture. But what Chris has pointed out is, look, the, the, the global bond, the, the U.S. Treasury market is definitely intact. People realize that they might be paid back with cheaper dollars, right? And that's kind of like a default. But they are in no way, shape, or form expecting an outright default. Like, like literally, we're not paying. You could say, oh, George, we had the debt ceiling debacle. Look, no one ever thought that the debt ceiling wasn't going to get handled. So they just kicked the can down the road. They continued to do this. No, th- there was almost a zero probability that, you know, if you're holding a three-month T-bill, that you just wouldn't get paid. But if the United States starts to fracture, now all of a sudden, if I'm a treasury holder, that's a totally different ballgame. That's a totally different ballgame. Because now all of a sudden, although it might be very slight, you have introduced a risk of me not just being paid back with cheaper dollars, but me not being paid back. And then what happens is I would agree with the people that say the bond market's going to blow up because, well, and, and that, that, that scenario gets really ugly really quick because if there's, no, if there's no collateral for the monetary system, then that's the whole we're living in caves eating canned goods. I mean, forget the whole asteroid hitting the earth or um, what, what are some of the, the, the doomsdayers uh, worried about the, the thing taking down the grid or something like for, for, forget that uh, that would play out in spades if the global monetary system collapsed and the global monetary system would collapse if there was no more collateral. I mean, if you want proof of that, just look at the GFC. What, why, why did the GFC go from a real estate crisis to a global financial crisis? Because you had a pie chart of collateral that was being used. And all of a sudden, just one day got cut in half because let's just say half of it was treasuries, half of it was mortgage-backed securities. Well, all of a sudden you introduce this increased risk to the mortgage-backed securities. You take them out of the equation. Now all you've got left is half the collateral or half the liquidity that you had before. That dog don't hunt. So now the only thing that we have are the treasuries. You could argue bank reserves, but really it's treasuries, the way the system is set up, the way the pipes and the plumbing are set up. So you take that away. And again, that's Mad Max territory that we're dealing with. And I'm not saying if the United, if Texas broke off from the United States, and if let's just say five states went along with Texas, I'm not saying that would blow up the bond market or that would introduce, well, let me take that back. I'm not saying that would blow up the bond market. I'm saying that's a very, very good argument that we would have to think through and assess probabilities. It would absolutely, absolutely introduce risk to that collateral that does not exist right now. Because when someone is holding a treasury as collateral, they're not worried about inflation in the United States. They're not worried about any of these things that people talk about, well, who's going to hold a treasury when the inflation rates at 5% and you're only getting a 3% yield. Look, the people that are holding this in the monetary system, they don't care about that. That is absolutely irrelevant to them. The main reason they're holding it 
is because it's a safe liquid asset, period, end of story. Uh, meaning that you're going to pay back, be paid back 100 cents on the dollar regardless of what that 100 cents can buy in the United States. But if you take out that component of uh, or decrease the element of safety, that is a game changer, absolute game changer. And, uh, you know, again, huge hat tip to Chris because that is an angle that I had never ever thought about. And he goes, let's just read this because he gives kind of a real world real estate example that I think illustrates this point, maybe even better than I just tried to communicate it. Imagine it this way. You lend money to a real estate developer that has 300 houses. You're told he has control over all 300 houses or the cash flow from those 300 houses. This is your collateral. Then before you've been paid back, you see a hundred of them just got sold without the developer banking the proceeds. A dispute, you're told, not only do you worry that your collateral isn't what you thought it would be, you realize all the other creditors who bought the same debt you bought might see it as increasing risk and also head to the exits. It's like going bankrupt. Happens very, very slowly, then boom, all at once. All the other arguments that I have heard for the bond market blowing up, I don't put a lot of weight. I, I don't I disagree with him. We'll just put it that way. But this one is something I think we should all be thinking about. Then he starts talking about how the federal government could receive help if it's going to, sounds crazy to say, but going to war with some of the states. And he is saying that the UK would probably be right there backing it and Australia, and that both of them are increasing the amount of troops they have. Uh, and they're, they're saying they're doing this for Russia, but they might be doing this, who knows, to, to back the federal government of the United States against states themselves. So then at the end of this, let's see, Chris uh, simply states at the end of this piece that, mind you, this report is, I don't know, 20 pages, and we've just gone over maybe four or five of these the pages. But then he says, now, what does this mean for our portfolio? Because at the end of the day, Chris is a hedge fund manager. So what he cares about most is, okay, I, I've got this thesis. Let's attach probabilities to this playing out. But how do I make money from this? This is what I'm going to go over on the webinar Friday in Rebel Capitalist Pro. So I'm going to actually talk to Chris today about this, get some insights. I might put that up on the George Gammon channel. But then I'm going to go through the rest of this report where he goes over what this actually means for a portfolio and how he is setting up his hedge funds portfolio according to the risks that are at play with what's happening at the border crisis. So if you want to join me in that incredibly important webinar, just go to georgegammon.com forward slash pro. You can just do a $1 trial if you want. And I will see you Friday probably be around one o'clock Eastern time. So put that in your calendar. We'll see you in the Rebel Capitalist Pro Forum dis discussing this. And guys, make sure that you're bringing a pen and paper because you're going to want to take notes on this. Uh, Chris is incredibly, it, it, he has his finger on the pulse. He talks to literally hundreds of other hedge fund managers around the world outside of the United States as well. So what he is talking about here is something that we should all be discussing and cognizant of. On that note, we'll see you Friday, 1 p.m. Eastern time.